I just want to talk about a little more about some of these different uh, options for uh, for soil amendments. Um, the the first the first one I have listed is is peat moss and coconut core. Um, do you do you have coconut core? I haven't noticed it. I'm sure. Yeah. Do you know what it is? We we call it coconut core, C O I R, and it's the it's the husks that have been pulverized. So they're you know it's a fine fine material, but um, I'm thinking I'm thinking you're more likely to have that than you are to have peat moss. Do you have peat moss? I get peat moss. I think you do. It's more available. I guess. Is it really okay? Because I mean, peat moss is going to come from northern Europe or Canada. Or, um, I think they've got some places they harvest it in Australia. Yeah. Maybe some places that are wet. Yeah, but I, I don't think. I mean, it's it comes from very cold places. Oh, like, okay. Although sort of it's, 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 it's Yeah. I mean, we we have it in a few places in a, in the United States, but. Most of the peat moss, by far, that we get comes from Canada, and and then northern Europe, you know, the far northern countries. Um, it's just a a good filler of organic matter, and so we use it as a, for example, when we if we want to make up our own potty mix, the the peat moss is that's kind of the the, the base. That we that we work with, but um, if you're and and it peat moss and coconut core in America are sold in bales. They're usually plastic wrapped bales. That, you know about this wide, this high. Is, is that something that you have in garden supply stores? I'm not saying the coconut stuff. But, but you, you're seeing peat moss. I, I swear I've seen, I've seen a place where they okay. harvested it from. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, so, yeah, I'm sure. It's probably not the same quality as my suspicion, but it could be. I don't know. Right. So, anyways, um, in, in the United States, there's there's quite a debate among um, you know ecology-minded organic farmers as to which which one is better, the coconut core or peat moss. You know, there are, there are some who say that the, the peat moss is, is a, it's non-renewable. I mean, it is renewable, but it's, they're concerned that it's not renewing as fast as it's being taken out. Um, there, are, there are others who say that's not the case, it is being renewed. Um, anyways, for, for us, peat moss is, and the other thing is transport. You know, so for us, peat moss is, is closer and more local. It doesn't take as much transport as coconut core. Uh, core, yeah, that's C-O-I-R. And, and it, it's the, the outside husk that's been pulverized. You're talking about 
something that's quite like a powder, aren't you? Yeah, it's yeah. not not quite a powder, but it's it's it's, it's not a fairly mulch. fine. It's, it's, uh, it's not a mulch. Mix it in with your soil. To it's something that's like soil. Yes. So the organic um, soil amendments, we were just talking about peat moss and coconut core. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar enough with Australia to know what's commonly available in garden stores and, and that sort of thing. And that's... Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, those, those are good if particularly if you're wanting to, to pot things or, or, or start transplants and that sort of thing. But um, it is handy to have something like peat moss or, or coconut core. We, we'll use it when we're, when we're making a new garden bed um, just to add a bulk of organic matter into the ground and give it a you know, kind of charge the ground with organic matter. And it's, it's probably the, the cheapest and easiest way to do that quickly. And it, it usually, for, for us, it usually comes in, in plastic wrapped bales that are about 30 to 50 pounds. And they're, you know, they're about this size and this tall. And, and they're compressed in, in these plastic wrap bags. Um, so we'll, we'll add probably about two, two bales for, well, probably about one bale for 50 feet. Of, of garden bed. That's that's a, a 30 inch garden bed. Um, and yeah. So that that's just a like I said, it's a way to, to add a lot of organic matter quickly into your ground and it's 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 a kind of an easier and, and cheaper way than, than most anything else. Now Compost can be used too, and what, what we'll usually do is we'll, we'll put that much um, peat moss on our bed, and then we'll, we'll come and maybe add that much compost on top of it. So we're, you know, we're adding both, but we're just really trying to bulk up on the, on the organic matter in the soil initially, just to get it going. And we, once we've done that, we don't ever add peat moss to our soil again after that. But we keep adding some compost every year. Um, or, or having a mulch on the, on the surface. So the next, the next option for, for organic matter is, is going to be things like manure. Um, cow manure, horse manure, chicken manure, uh, things like that. Um, we are starting to get a fad in America for veganic farming. That is farming without any animal products. I don't know if you, has anyone been talking about that here? Does that include 
Yeah, we're talking about animal waste. I mean, it could be any animal product, the animal parts as well as waste, but primarily waste. Well, the, I, I, I feel that there, there is some good reason for doing that, but, but I don't buy it just across the board. The, the, the reason behind it is that most um, animal manures that you'll find bagged and for sale in the, in the shops um, comes from, from what we call a, a CAFO. That's a centralized animal feeding operation. So we call them feedlots. Feedlots, feed okay. Yeah. So I think we used to call them feedlots, but they're always generating new kind of fancier <laughs> terms. So, um, yeah, so that's your, your big stockyards where you have thousands of cows just on a, on a lot or, or chicken operations, you know, huge chicken operations or, you know, anything like that. That's a centralized animal feeding operation. Um, and those, those kinds of places tend to, tend, because of the, the close confined conditions of the animals, they have to treat them with antibiotics and, and they often treat them with hormones for you know, growth and things like that. And um, almost for sure they're, they're feeding them GMO feeds. And you know, for all of these reasons, and, and as well as the fact that we just think it's wrong to, to do that, <laughs> we don't want to use animal products from those kind of situations. And so like I said, most anything that you find bagged is you can almost be sure it's coming from one of those situations. But um, I, don't, I don't have a problem with, you know, if I've got horses or my neighbor has horses or, you know, cleaning out the stall and, and using that. You know, you know, you know how those animals are being cared for and, you know, that to me, it's two different situations. Yeah. I need to be careful with the horse one. I got a whole load of free horse manure and discovered that in fact they worm their horses. Yeah, so if you use that, it kills all your worms, which I think is what happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, I had told. I researched it to verify. I mean, that, that makes sense, but I haven't, mm. I hadn't um, come so across I mean, that before. Well, I mean, to verify that, that's what I was told. Same so I stuck with that. The what? Oh, do they? You, uh -huh. you, you can pick it up, but you don't know. Like alpaca, for instance, they've been yeah. worming as well, just like horse manure. Yeah. Yeah. And I live on a cattle farm. Uh huh. So <laughs> I know when they do the worms, so I've got to wait before I can think about using it. Huh. <laughs> so have you had that experience also or heard that? I'm not a gardener yet. Okay. But I've heard that. And I've been you have heard that. Okay. I know people who actually sell their new and they say that. Yeah. They'll say, not, not, you know, they're going to check on this one. Interesting. I, I hadn't come across that before, so that's, that's something to think about. Yeah, we sell some horses, and mm -hmm. uh, whenever I worm them, I put them out. I move them to another area for three or four days, so the okay. manure will go in the paddock. So and the, yeah. Paddock, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. 
Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of our thoughts on, on using animal manures. Um, you, you know, if you, if you are going to use a manure, you know it needs to be aged. You don't want to use it fresh. Yeah, just, yeah, it would be good if it, if it was dried or, you know, if it's moist, you'd want to make sure it had been turned several times and, and oh, I think I'd, I'd want to wait at least half a year. Um, um, on, on any of these things, comp, any kind of thing that, that's composting and, and breaking down, the more, the more it looks like soil, the better it is. You know, the, the, if, the more that you can recognize what the original product was, the, you know, it hasn't aged very much and it hasn't broken down very much. So it's going to do more breaking down in your soil. And one thing about if it's, the more breaking down it does in your soil, it's, it's tying up your microbes because you know, they're, they're, they're needing to work to break it down. If it's already broken down, it's not gonna tie up your microbes as much and you'll have more microbes free for, the, for your plant. Um, in, the, in the earlier session, I was, I was sharing with them that it's the, the microbes in your soil, the bacteria and the fungi that do the actual transfer of nutrients from, from the soil to the roots. And so you, you want to do whatever you can to foster a good microbial population in your soil. And so, you know, the, the classic example of this is wood chips. If, if you dig wood chips into your soil, um, they, you know, they, they will be a good source of organic matter, but it's gonna take some time for them to break down. And, and they will tie up your soil big time. <laughs> and you, you won't be able to produce anything good on them for, for I don't know, you know, maybe up to a year. And, and you know, so you, you just don't want to dig heavy things like that, large things, into your soil that aren't broken down already. Um, Okay. Um, I think I'm just going to finish going through this because I wasn't going to use that for, for this list of organic soil amendments. And then, um, sources of, you know, the, when, when you buy fertilizer, if you, if you buy a fertilizer, just a, a regular non-organic fertilizer, it has three numbers on it. Do you know what those numbers are? Yeah, NPK. So that's nitrogen, um, potassium, and phosphorus. Sorry, the other way around. Nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. The K is potassium. So um, fertilizers are, are, are rated on those numbers, just those three things. And so the um, even... In America, again, even organic fertilizers are often rated with those, those three numbers. And so you can have an idea of what you're, you're getting. 
Now, generally, with an organic fertilizer, those numbers aren't going to be very high, but that's those numbers are, are not really an indicator of the value of what you're putting on when, when you're dealing with organic things. Like, for example, compost is going to probably have a one for, for nitrogen, but um, it is still really beneficial for your soil. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's providing, again, like I said earlier, it's, it's providing food and housing for your microbes. So, um, so at home, there, the, the organic sources of nitrogen that we have used are, are things like alfalfa meal, that's just ground up alfalfa, and um, cottonseed meal. You know, any, any kind of seed meal is going to be high in nitrogen because all seeds are high in, 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 in nitrogen, in proteins. Um, we, we've used um, peanut meal. And, you know, you, you, um, if, if you've got a place that's uh, making peanut oil, the, the cake that, that comes out afterwards could be a good thing to use. It would be high in nitrogen. Flaxseed. Flaxseed. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a little more expensive than some other things, so. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, if you any any seed, if you have a good source and you can get it, you know, for a reasonable cost, it, it's great. Um, yeah, you do want it ground up. You don't want it sprouting and growing. <laughs> We we are we have a a farmer not far from us who grows organic soybeans, and and we get cracked soybeans from him. So they're actually just broken in in two or three pieces. They're fairly large, and we found that that works really nicely um, if you've got a crop that's overwintering in the ground. Like we we plant strawberries in the fall, and they they they. They go through the winter, and we harvest them in the spring. And and the the soy we, we give we usually put something else for nitrogen, you know, right when they're when they're first transplanted to give them an immediate nitrogen source. But but this cracked soybean gives a long-term nitrogen source that lasts through to spring. And so that's yeah, we sprinkle it on on top and just you know, put it in just a, a little bit in the top. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a real nice thing for nitrogen. Um, blood meal is something... Did the, sorry, did you have the lights on? No, we're going to watch a video and it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> blood, blood meal is a, is a very good source of nitrogen that we, we have used quite a bit. And we, we've stopped using it in the last few years. Um, not because it's not good, but again, because we're recognizing that it probably comes from the CAFO, you know, a, a feedlot. 
Um, it's just blood. And, and for, for us, probably close to 90% of that is, is pig blood. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you don't have anything else, it, it does work really well. It's a, it's a very good nitrogen source. So what do you think of blood and bone pellets? Blood and bone pellets? Um, I'm sure they would work. Yeah. They, they would be good. It's, you know, it's just kind of you have to decide, you know, how, where you want to draw your lines and... Yeah, um, and like you said, thought of where they come from. Right. My yeah. husband put them on the plants the other day. They're like little um, bak choy, and I thought, oh, they're on the plant. Does that make the plant safe to eat? So I just raised <laughs> them a lot. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask about. Yeah, today. Right. Yeah, you know, the, and the, the, other, the other thing is, you know, can, can diseases, diseases. Be, be, be transmitted? I've, yeah. I've, you know, there, I've read about, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, an antibiotic um, thing called triclosan which has been put in a lot of soaps and, and things like that to, to make an antibiotic soap. And I was reading not long ago that apparently, you know, when it, when it goes into the, the sewage system, which is where, where it's gonna go, the, the treatment plants, um, all their processes to, to deal with it don't work on it. So it, you know, whatever the the effluent that comes out in the end that's supposed to be clean still has it in it, and and they said that um, they they tested vegetables. I think it was lettuce or carrots that you know that was irrigated with this treated um, waste, and. I think it might have even been treated water, you know, the wa so it wasn't it wasn't sludge or something. It was water that had been treated like that. But but they found triclosan in the vegetables. Probably so, we might use it in the Yeah. Well, I think people people have recognized that and they're moving away from it now. Right. <laughs> so, anyways, plants do uptake things. I I've also read about um, I think it was lettuce again that took up glyphosate, you know, which is from Roundup, that, that had been sprayed on, on a previous crop. It wasn't even sprayed on that crop, but the, the previous crop had been sprayed, and then they grew lettuce on the field and it but took it up. Absorbed it, yes. Right. It was a really high percentage um, they said don't buy any from, well, from that country. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place in California, a very, very, very Yeah. It's a bit of a problem all around the world, from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And there, things like that, there, 
also there are places that just have naturally high levels in the soil. And so, but, but yeah, I, I heard that story also about the rice, yeah. Um, we have a product called corn gluten meal that is, is very nice because it, it is both a source of nitrogen and it also, it, um, it, it, it hinders germination. So if, if you have a bed that you're going to transplant into, you can, you can put your transplants in the bed and then spread corn gluten meal over your bed and you're, you're providing nitrogen and you're also hindering weeds from germinating in your bed. So, corn gluten meal, yeah. I don't know if that's available here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is. I, I think that chances are good you would have that. Um, for phosphorus, uh, we mentioned animal manures tend to be high and tend to have phosphorus in them, so that's one way you can add phosphorus to your soil. But if you need more phosphorus, um, you, you can buy rock phosphate that, that will help. Also, bone meal can, can be a source of phosphorus. Um, for potassium, I'm not sure what, what you have available here, but um, I mentioned green potash here and sulfate of potash. These are both organic um, sources of, of potassium. Um, for calcium, you can use lime or gypsum. And, and then we already mentioned at lunchtime, right before lunch, um, different sources of micronutrients like kelp meal, seawater, and um, what was it, sea salt is the, the product that you have here. And um, diatomaceous earth. Diatomaceous earth is a really... Chew the lots back on, because you're not using the I'm almost ready to use it, so <laughs> thanks. Um, diatomaceous earth is, is a very interesting product. It's, it's made of... Um, fossilized diatoms, which is a, a very small kind of single-cell algae that, that grows in water. And, and there are deposits of, of diatomaceous earth in, in different places around the world. Um, it is, it's good as a, as a source of silica. It is also good as a, as a pest um, control. I'll, I'll mention it later when we're talking about pests. But it, 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 it tends to dry out any pest that has an exoskeleton. And, um, and well, people, people say it's good for deworming. You know, you can, you can I mean, people like put it in their in their feed for their animals, their chickens, and and it, they say it helps to clean them out. People use it themselves, 
they say it even it, it, it helps to to make your hair and your nails stronger and you know I don't know they say it'll also maybe clean you out so and they, they say it has good detoxing properties but it's um, if you look at it microscopically it, it you know it's it's got a structure that's like glass shards and so I, that's probably one reason it helps to dry out the, the exoskeleton of things. So you can, people will even, in America, we can, we can buy it as a, as a, you know, something to use in your house. It's a white powder that you can just put along the, your, like your baseboard and around windows to keep, you know, for, for cockroaches, ants, and, and things like that. It's a, it's a very safe, you, you, you want to look for food grade um, diatomaceous earth. It's very, very safe, but it's, it's very effective on insects that have exoskeletons. Um, okay, so. so that's, that's the bed preparation one ready to go. Okay, great. Um, but if we just go behind it, um, there's your whole list. Okay. Well, that's, that's all that I've got in I don't know whether you've upgraded them, if Paul's upgraded them, but I heard. Okay. Yeah, I had some. These are his PowerPoints, and I had some actual. No, those are the movies. These are the movies. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. So I'll go back to quick time. You press go. Okay. Um, Which one actually, I, I want to do one on doing a soil test. Soil census. Soil census. probably the same. Maximize it. Yeah. Okay. So, my son has put together a, 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 an online garden training program, and th these are some things from that. It's called Born to Grow. This is gone. I'll give you a speaker. I think it. Oh, it's connected now. Yeah. you how you can easily take a little soil sample from your garden to send in and have tested to find out what kinds of nutrients you have in your soil, how you can start amending it and improving it for your garden. And the fact is that the sample that you take and how you take the sample is one of the critical factors for how reliable that soil test is going to turn out and how much you can bank on the results that come back from that soil test and figuring out how you need to start working on, on amending your garden and building up your soil. And so this is a, this is a real key, key little factor in soil testing is taking the sample. The good news is it's really not that hard. It's very easy to do, and so I'll go ahead and show you how you can do that. All we'll need for taking the soil sample is a good spade, and it's preferable if it has a flat blade. A regular shovel will work as well, but it's preferable with a flat blade. You'll see why in a minute here, and a nice clean bucket taking your sample in. So what you want to do is take your spade and thrust it down into the ground as deep as you can go and then pull it back and forth. What we're wanting to do is get uh, what's called a soil profile, a nice profile of the soil all the way down at least 8 to 12 inches or, or so down into the soil. It can be helpful if your soil is a little moist. 
when you do this. So make a little V that goes down into your soil and then take your spade and just shave off a little shaving going down your whole soil profile all the way down as deep as you can go. Oh, that's beautiful. And that is going to be your soil sample that you can then put in your bucket. Now to really get reliable results on your soil test, you'll want to get soil samples from all over your garden. You might want to go in like a zigzag pattern over the growing area that you're going to be growing in and get at least 8 to 10 of these soil profile samples and that will give you the best uh, really the more the more you get the better and that will give you the best idea um, average an average over your whole garden area what kind of nutrients that you have and the final step here is to make sure that you mix up those soil samples as best as you can get them thoroughly mixed up and then when you get your soil test kit in from whatever company is going to be doing your soil testing, they should send you a little bag or give you instructions for how to send in your soil sample and you'll use this mixture that you've taken from all these little samples around your garden to send in for the actual soil test. Okay. So the idea is you, you, you take your, your plot that you're wanting to grow in, and you, you take random samples. And like you said, the more the better. But, you know, I would say five at a minimum, and, you know, 10 would be, would be nice. Um, you, you take those random samples, mix them up, and, and then send them in. Now, if you have, if you're growing in different places, you'll want to do a, a separate sample for each place so that you can, um, you know, because the, the soil might be different in that place than where you, than the other place. So, any, any questions on that? I don't see the one on composting here. Okay, well, maybe we'll do that without this and then we'll We've got the one on bed making, which is a nice demonstration. So let's, um, let's turn on the lights. And Does anyone know how, how I can shut this off? Because I want to use the... Pardon? Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I tried doing that. But I think the key is over here. Well, Okay, there. All right. Um, so, compost. Um, we talked about it before lunch. It's, it's just decomposing organic matter. All right? 
Um, and what, what, what is the benefit of compost? You know, as, as I said earlier, things break down slowly over time. And so the, the more you, that you can recognize the material, the, the less the, the original material, the less it's decomposed. And so it, it's going to continue to break down over time and it, eventually it's going to give you a, a dark brown or black product that you can't tell what it, what it came from. <laughs> you know, it's broken down so much. And that's, that's the ideal compost. Um, you can, well, I, I think I'll, I'll start talking about how to do it and then I'll go here. So the, the, one of the main benefits of compost is this really dark material that we call humus. It's, it's a, almost a complete breakdown of, of the um, organic matter. And, and, and then an even further breakdown is, is humates. And, um, and an even further um, product that, that comes from the breakdown of, of compost is called fulvic acid. You know, all of these are, are very rich, not only in, um, in, in nutrients, but they, they, they form the, well, like I said before, the, the food and the housing for, for your microbes. You know, the more broken down it is, the better for them. It's more readily available for them. Um, So humus has, has amazing properties. Um, compost, when, when, you, when you add compost or actually any organic matter to your soil, one thing that it, that it tends to do is, is buffer your soil. So if you are, if you are high in, um, if your pH is high or low, adding organic matter and compost will tend to bring it closer to the center. And also if you're high or low in, in, in certain nutrients, by adding organic matter, you tend to bring it closer to the center. So it, it, has, a, it has this buffering property that's, that's really helpful. Um, How, how to make compost? There are, there are two main ingredients that, that were, two main things we're looking for in compost. And, and just for simplicity, we call them greens and browns. So your greens are, are fresh items. That's your, your kitchen scraps. Um, you know, if you put a dead animal in there, that's gonna be a green. <laughs> but any, your, your grass clippings, um, anything that's, that's fresh is a green. You know, you can put in, um, you know, sometimes you have crop residues after you've harvested your crop. 
um, those could be greens or browns. It depends what their condition is. But if they're fresh, they're greens. Um, so you have greens, and then you have your browns. Um, the kind of the, the typical brown or the ideal brown is straw. And but but hay is a brown. Dead leaves are a brown. Um, you know, there's, there, there are a number of sources of browns. Um, you don't want to usually use something like wood chips as a brown because, as I mentioned before, they take too long to decompose. If you don't, you know, if you have access to sawdust or wood chips and, you know, don't mind having it in a heap for a while, um, I would take it. But I, it'll probably be five years before before you're before it's ready for you to actually use it. So and if it's wood, that's for sawdust. If it's wood chips, it's going to be longer than that. <laughs> but um, you, wood chips are really good as a mulch on the surface. Just don't dig them in, and uh, you can. I, we we like to use wood chips on perennials. You know, for, for our garden, I'm too worried about digging it in. When I'm harvesting, like if I'm harvesting roots, um, it's going to make a hole and, and wood chips are going to want to fall down in there. <laughs> you know, if I'm transplanting, I'm, I'm digging a hole and the wood chips are going to want to fall down in there. So I, I'm, I'm worried about using wood chips uh, with, on my annuals in the annual production. But they are good on perennials, and, and they, they mimic the, the natural order that perennials grow in. You know, the perennials grow in a, in a woodland where, where sticks and leaves are falling on them anyway, so that's, that's kind of, that works well. But, so, you, to make compost, you have greens and browns, and you, if you, there, there are two ways you can, you can make compost. You can, you can make a, a quick pile that, that you want to, you can make it go, the process go fast, or you can do it slowly. So if, if you want it to go quickly, it's going to be high management. You know, you, you've, got to, you've got to watch it closely and, and turn it regularly. If, um, if that's, well, and generally, if you're going to do it quickly, you have to have all the materials for a pile available for you to put in that pile all at once. Now, for, for us on the farm and, and for a lot of us at home, that's not really practical. You know, we get the, the scraps little by little, you know, out of the kitchen. And so in that case, you know, you're, you're making a slow pile. And, um, you know, a quick pile can be ready to use in... I'd say three months. You know, it depends on how quickly you do it. I, there, I have, when I was in college, I actually followed a recipe for 14-day for compost. And um, it, it wasn't, you know, you could still tell what the parent material was. It wasn't broken down that much, but it was to the point that, that you could put it on the, on the garden. So you, you can do it, you know, at that speed, but... Like I said, you have to have all the material available and you have to manage it fairly intensively. Um, 
you have to be watching the temperature and turning it regularly. Um, so the, the way that we, I'll tell you how to do it, a quick pile. You just, we, we, we call it lasagna method of, of building the pile. So you, you add your browns and then, and then you add some green. And generally you're going to want two to four times as much brown as green, okay? So you, you add a thick layer of brown and, and a thin layer of green on top. And then we'll generally sprinkle some dirt on. Do you know why that, why we would do that? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the reason. For, for, for building a quick pile, um, we're not so worried about the flies, but the, yeah, we're inoculating it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to use it in the compost pile. I can tell you a different, it works really well as a mulch. And I can tell you there is something called lasagna bed making using, using cardboard. That's a, that's a different thing. But, well, it's a, it's a pretty heavy brown. And the, see the thing, I'll tell you, I said straw is the, is the ideal material for, for compost. Let's say you don't have access to what would be your next Yeah, I would use... Cardboard is usually readily available in many stores. They're just on the Right. You can pick it up. The thing, the, the reason straw is, is the ideal is that it's, it's, a, it's a straw. You know, it's a hollow mm -hmm. piece of material. And so, so it allows more circulation of air and water. And, and then also, when you, when you get straw, it's, it's going to be kind of a tangled mess, right? And, and again, that, that allows more, more opening for air and water. The, the concern about cardboard is that it's flat, and, and, and they're going to want to compact flat on top of each other. And that's going to, that just by them being tight together like that, it's going to hinder the breakdown. It won't break down as quickly. So regarding chemical composition, cardboard would be adequate? Yeah, yeah, cardboard would be fine. If, if you shredded it, you know, if you could shred it, then that would be great. <laughs> right, if you had a chipper shredder or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that would, yeah, I think that would, you know, a, with, with the paper, one concern would be that it, it might mat, you know, it, it's loose, but when it gets wet and gets other things on top of it. So I'd, I think I would put a little bit and add some other things on top and, and then a little more. But yeah, so, so you just keep building your pile like that. You, you put a, a layer of brown, a thick layer of brown, a thinner layer of green, a little dirt, a layer of brown, a layer of green, a little dirt, and, and you build it up as, you know, until you've used up ma your material. Um, you, you don't usually want to make your pile more than six feet diameter or six feet square because, or six feet tall because it does need to breathe. 
And, and if it gets bigger than that, it'll tend to, to compact in the center and it won't decompose as well. And, you know, there, there are two kinds of decomposition. There's aerobic and anaerobic composition. And it, they, they take different kinds of bacteria. Usually, it, there's nothing wrong with anaerobic bacteria, but, but for, for compost, you want aerobic bacteria. They'll, they'll, they'll do a better job. Um, so uh, a six-foot diameter, usually if you're inside that, you're, you're not going to, you, you'll be able to have plenty of air access. If you're concerned about, if you, if you are using some fine material and you're concerned about the air and, and water porosity of your pile, you can take a big bar and, and punch holes in it or something like that to, to help. But if you, if you have a lot of material, you know, farmers who are, who are making and, and people who make compost commercially, they'll, they'll do a windrow. So they'll, they'll have a, a row that might be four, four to six feet wide, and then they'll just make it long. And it'll be four to six feet tall, and then they, they just make it long. So that's the way you do. Um, a lot of compost. You don't want it to be, you know, wider than that. Do you need to cover it up to accelerate the process? Oh, that's a good point. Um, it, is, it is helpful to, to cover your compost pile um, for, for a couple reasons. One is, uh, well, your, your compost pile needs moisture. You know, those microbes need moisture in order to live and work. And so they, um, if, if, you are, if you are making a pile in a very dry place and, and with, with a lot of dry material, you'll usually want to add water to it, you know, sprinkle it and wet it down. And you could do that layer by layer. That would be better than waiting until it's all built and then adding water. So you don't want to overwater because... Um, you know, too much water kind of cools it down and you know makes it makes it difficult to work. But a good moisture. So you know, we're, we we like to talk about a, a moist cake. <laughs> you know, for for the soil or for your compost pile. You know, it it needs to have. It needs to be moist, but not so moist that when you squeeze it, water comes out. You know. So, when you, um, if if you're in a dry area, covering your pile is is very useful because it it keeps the moisture in your pile. Would you cover it totally since we needed to breathe, or just the top, just to shield it maybe from strong sunlight? Yeah, I, would, I, I think you, you can you can cover it completely because you're you're not you're not you're not covering it so tight that you're sealing out any air access. It, it'll have enough air for that. Yeah. So you know we'll use a, a tarp. Just lay a tarp over it. Yeah. Thank you.
Yeah. They are, but for, for most home gardeners, the, the, the issue is that you've got a lot of greens and not enough browns. And if you, if you have a compost pile that smells, have you, have you, has that ever happened to you? You know, it just starts to stink and attract flies and things like that. Pardon? Cockroaches. <laughs> yeah. So if, if that's happening, most likely the problem is you've got too much green. You, you need to be adding more browns to your compost pile. That's the most common problem that home gardeners have is too much green and a, and a stinking pile. Okay. Yeah. Can't get in there to aerate. Yeah. Because I think they're designed for the long term composting. Right. Are they? You mentioning Charlie mentioned the tumbling one. Right. Right. Those ones I think are the best composting. They they are, but the the way you know when you're when you're doing a, a home compost pile, little by little. You know, you're just adding your kitchen scraps every once in a while, you know, probably every day, but it's just little by little. Um, your, your pile is going to, you're going to need probably, I mean, the way, the way we tend to do it is that we'll, we'll, we'll be adding our scraps, both our kitchen scraps and our garden scraps, you know, the, the, the residue after harvest, the, the, the plant residue. Well, carrot tops, um, tomato plants, you know, once they're finished and you pull them out, um, your, your broccoli plants or, you know, your, your cabbage leaves, pardon? Yes, all of that, we put it on the pile. We put it all on the pile. And um, just, so we're, we're building it little by little. So what we'll generally do is we'll, over the course of a year, everything goes into that pile and, and we're just building the pile. And, and then we'll, we'll start a new pile and let that one sit. And, and actually we'll try to turn it at least once and, and let it sit. And, and after another year, it'll be ready to use. You can, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yes, that's a, that's a really good point. What we do is we we get a we get some hay bales or straw bales and set them next to our compost pile so that we can have a brown to easily add to it because. We're, we're always, we've got greens, you know, our, our garden scraps, our kitchen scraps, but the browns aren't handy when we want them. <laughs> so we, we, we put the greens on and then we take some brown and put it on top. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever add ash to your compost? Yes, you can do that. In the winter, I empty out the pot belly stone. Yeah. Like what I do with ash, or it's good for something. Right. You can put it in the compost. Yeah. I don't know if you want to consistently always put it on but because it it is it's high in potassium and but you know if your if your soil needs potassium 
you can just spread it directly on your beds. And, you know, so, I, I mean, my, my concern is that if you put it all in the compost pile, it might be too concentrated for it. You know, it depends on how much ash you have. Our house is renting and I was on the gardening. I just didn't feel good about throwing my scraps out. Right. So we got rats and cockroaches. Okay. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.